This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, LS Pod fans. It's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parking or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off could be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com Rodgers is streaking ahead and he's onside. Beautiful play! That is that! What a good shot! Oh, what a good goal! Mike Reddish foul! Far post for Shearer, goal! McLaughlin has it. Oh, deflection! And a goal! Catch to Mitchell! It's another goal! Incredible! Hobble! start of a busy period for Swindon Town. February is approaching and we have the teeny tiny matter of a transfer window closing and just the seven games across the month. But of course, first, we cannot avoid, although we want to, the deeply frustrating 1-1 draw at Colchester United. Here to talk it out, we'll talk it over, is Connor who was there. Hello, Connor. Hello, Rich. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here as always. Is it? Is it really? Um, I'm going to take your word for it because that's nice. And we also have Joe, who wasn't there, but somehow watched the game. Hello, Joe. Hello, yes. The world moves in mysterious ways. So hello to you, Rich, and Pembloith Happis to you, Connor, for yesterday. Ah, yes. Connor, I can't think of better ways to celebrate one's 27th birthday than a football day in a former Roman capital. But football result aside, did you have a good birthday? I had a very good day and it started with uh, Harry McCurdy um, seemingly harking back to the Roman times, like you've alluded to, uh, with his away days in the capital. So, uh, yeah, really enjoyed my trip to the capital city. Um, You know, what what more can you ask for, really? I'm never sure whether Harry McCurdy says things like that and it's like (laughs) he thinks he thinks Colchester's in London or... He might just have a deep knowledge of our Isles history. It really is a lottery. I mean, I think the answer to the question is that he would have been going out in London uh, last night 
uh, on okay. so that that must be it. But I do much prefer to think that he was rocking up pre-game in a toga, and I do think that that like isn't outside the realms of possibility. So if anyone's seen um, what he was wearing before or after the game. Uh, and can confirm or deny whether it was a toga, please do write in. Joe, it's pretty clear that he saw, he, when he when he thought about joining Swindon on trial, he he looked at the nearby Roman sites and settlements. He saw Sirencester, he saw Bath, he said, yes, please. Exactly. Just a short hop over the uh, over the bridge to go to Killian and things like that as well. It was... Uh... It was uh, roaming away. But, you know, how Harry McCurdy uh, dresses and, you know, shows his um, eclectic wardrobe on Instagram is sort of how our Connor treats things like his breakfast and food and hot takes on social media. There was complaints about your breakfast last week and now you're glutton for more this week again. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going fully <laughs> embracing the bit because you have to at, at this point. Um yeah, I mean, I, I I wasn't expecting anyone to really take any issue with a croissant, uh, but you know, I, I think I think this is also people joining in on the bit, uh, which makes it even better. Your lime curd and bacon croissants look lovely. Yeah, I thought they looked fine, and I've also got no problem with your opinions on water. Not my cup of tea, but you know, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> um, but let's now move lovingly to Swindon Town's trip to the old Roman capital. Colchester. I'm not going to pronounce uh, what it was previously because I will make a fool of myself. Uh, Jojo Wallacott was back, Connor, and there was a debut also for Josh Davison. And also today's birthday boy, Jordan Lydon came into the squad for Ben Gladwin. All lovely and exactly how I would expect it to be, to be honest. Yeah, I think there can't have really been too many um, disagreements with the lineup. I think, to be honest, um, I know that we've made some signings over the weekend, but given that a lot of them weren't actually eligible to, well, both of them weren't eligible to play um, against Colchester on Saturday, I think by and large the team picked itself and the only decision that there really was to make was, um, is it Lydon or Gladwin from the start? Uh, and really, I, it's it's a difficult decision to make that one because... I, I don't feel really, really strongly either way. So you you could have picked one and I'd have thought, well, you know, the other one will come on at some point. So it proved to be. Um, but yeah, no, I, it, it is interesting at the moment because yeah, I, I at two o'clock didn't even <laughs> didn't even look at the, the team sheet because you do know broadly what it's going to be. You really do. On the other side. Joe Colchester, and I know I've referenced this a few times on the pod, but I'm fascinated by it. Six former Ipswich players. Um, impressive stuff. Yeah, I mean, I had thought there was a slight exaggeration on the presser, but going through, I mean, a ridiculous amount of people who've had tenure up the road, and that just seems to be the um, recruiting strategy. I mean, lineup wise, like we say, we've seen these guys at Ipswich. They're not slouches by any way um there's a lot of talent in that side but uh for some reason or another it's 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 not been clicking i mean we remember way back into the the 2019-2020 season just uh, pre-pandemic um when they were almost like a bogey team for us and we couldn't couldn't manage a win and they had managed to sort of occupy those lower playoff places and things were looking all right under our former chap uh Mr. John McGreal, our old friend. And since then, it's just been, you know, it's just been on a, on a decline. And there's, it's hard to put your finger on what's, what's not making that all gel together. Because on paper, you look and you think that's not a team that should really be down in the sort of 
20th places, yet yet there they are. Yeah, pure football manager sort of observations, isn't it? I'm, I'm no different. You sort of see the names, you recognise them, and you think to yourself, why on earth are they 22nd? But, you know, there could be various reasons like age, injuries, not being as good as we think they are. Um, but... Only real Swindon link to this uh, Colchester squad was former trialist Shamal George, who was in goal. We'll talk about him a little bit more later, but I'm sure he was very much up for this. Before we go into the game itself, Connor, build up to the game. What were the vibes? Was all well. I, I do like asking you about pub adventures before kickoffs. It's hard to speak for the whole fan base, um, but I think you should. Oh, well, in that case, the vibes were immaculate. Uh, yes. Yeah, I. <laughs> I, th- I think there was, as the day went on, I think going it, going up to Colchester in the morning, I was kind of thinking, well, as long as I can have a good day, then the result doesn't really matter. But as the day kind of wore on, we kind of started to feel a little bit more confident about things. And as the game sort of began and you start to see how both teams are going to set up and uh, and play, um, that made me a little bit more confident as well. So um, it was, yeah, very enjoyable not not too much stress in a footballing sense for the first uh opening exchanges um and and yeah i i, I don't know it's uh one of those ones where i think colchester is in a way there's quite often bemoaned due to the uh so the, the, the placement of the ground um but i think once when you're in the thick of it you're just enjoying your day out really aren't you so um yeah as a day out was uh was definitely quite good you know football yeah, yeah, I know football. Um, any issues getting in? Any any troubles for the six hundred and five town fans? Given the very interesting uh, policies they do over in Colchester, I very nearly missed kickoff because we just sort of assumed that you know it's not a very long drive. We'll get a taxi up to the ground about half two. We'll get in there with with, with no no problems at all. Um, only to be to find at half two that there are no taxis available at all so we were basically running up and down the high street trying to hail someone finally did got in one minute before the kickoff absolutely perfect um yeah (laughs) it's really weird you wouldn't realize when you're at the stadium that they have these absolutely ludicrous protocols um in terms of sort of who can be where i mean maybe looking at where people are situated in the away end and it probably being a bit more social distance than every other ground up into this season yeah that's probably something um but in terms of the away end, I mean, like, I don't see what the point of going to all the hassle of doing bubbles and um, buying tickets through Colchester was because like, it was just policed as a normal away end, uh, which is a good thing. I'm not complaining about it, but, you know, it, it probably would have been a lot easier for a lot of people, especially like they're not so technically minded um, with that website that was just an absolute horror show um, if we could have just, you know, done it normally like we actually did in the ground but you know can't really complain too much oh we can and we will but we won't anymore so we move on to the game itself joe talk me through the opening exchanges tell me what this first half was all about um it did feel a bit like i mean some people are gonna perhaps have a listen and think you know am i actually listening to the colchester episode because i think we start a lot of these in the same way it felt in that kind of sort of slow gently bently feeling out kind of way from quite early on it did seem that colchester were uh quite exposed they were playing like a bit of a, a high line and and getting caught uh a few times um harry mccurdy making like enough of a nuisance and wingbacks like uh you know whipping crosses in uh but it 
didn't really it felt like we had the the edge um for a for a little novelty while i was um you know on the champs elysees uh, watching on iFollow on my ipad um <laughs> i do sometimes like as a little novelty especially if there's like a bbc station to have a little listen just sort of get the vibe of how um you know how they they see it and you know it's quite partisan on bbc essex and you know, even from the opening exchanges they definitely seem to have the tone that we were the better side that we were one of the better sides that had been to the uh jobsworth stadium or whatever they call it um and that uh we had we had an edge you sort of felt that although you know we hadn't actually managed to you know make much of a mark on the game um i think probably they had the best chance in the first half which you know showed what we'd missed from woolacott we made a lovely uh save palming that away um i think you'd feel that the goal, although it hadn't come, was was inevitable. It looked looked like we were in in perfect control, to be honest. Which is probably uh, probably famous last words to think that looking back. But such is hindsight, eh? Indeed, it is something that sort of was brought up in the uh, in the group chat a week or so ago was the, the the difference in feeling if you're watching the game in the ground from watching it at home and in the ground you get a bit more of the theatre a little bit more of the sort of outrage and school jugglery while people at home going well you know it was a foul well, well it was offside and things like that <laughs> Connor was what what do you remember from that first half well to be honest the way that jo- the way that Joe's described it is pretty much how I saw it in the ground so that is fantastic uh, not good for the kind of thing that we've discussed before of you know perspective sort of showing things differently uh to to you know depending on how you're watching it uh, but i would say yeah i think it, there wasn't much going on that was particularly like off your off, getting you off your seat kind of stuff um i think as joe mentioned we were probably the better team um throughout much of it without really creating too much clear cut um and and really probably the story of the half if you were to look at it in terms of chances created is um, as was mentioned, the the good save um, that that Wallacott did getting down low to his left um, before I think it's a couple of minutes later that um, sort of McCurdy forages a long ball and then for some reason in the middle of defence Josh Davison is completely unmarked um, mm. and I, I I don't know how you guys saw this but I just think that he missed that because he's not been playing regular football and you know after ninety minutes in his tank. Then he probably probably has the confidence to lift that over the goalkeeper or just put it in the corner or something like that. It just seemed ever so slightly like a player that just hasn't been able to work his way into form. Because I think I think that's exactly as good an opportunity as the one that Colchester had down the other end. But it's just one of those things where he's just not quite up to the the level that hopefully give two three games and he will be. But um, yeah, it was. I mean, for me, those two are like the two, the the tail of the half of those two chances. The JoJo save shouldn't go unnoticed or or unacknowledged, if that if that's a word, it should go acknowledged because it was a great save. Kind of the sort of save I expect from JoJo. That seems to be one of his specials where he makes it look quite effortless. Whereas Lewis Ward is quite spectacular in his in his saving, but it was a very very good stop. And I do think that Davison should be doing better there. Whether it's match practice or just not expecting to have that much time and maybe gets in a panic, I don't know. But either way, Joe, he's got to be scoring that, hasn't he? Yeah, I think I think that generally he gave a pretty good 
showing of himself. Um, mm. I mean this in a complimentary way, and uh, I'm thinking back to the shades of when we first saw him. I did have the, that sort of um, reminiscence of when we first had Alex Gilbert in pre um, pre that international call up, where you know he seemed to come back and sort of almost be you know, that fight for his his place seemed to almost go to his head and he looked a bit of a shade of what we had before but that sort of not just that enthusiasm to you know to get into areas and cause trouble perhaps what Davison has where you know he's lacked and we have lacked is you know he's got uh, not just a bit of strength but also you know willingness to get to get stuck in as we we certainly saw later on <laughs> this is this just Connor seems such a quintessential part of Swindon's season, these sort of first halves. It is a running theme, isn't it? The way we 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 perform in the first 45. I think yeah, we, we do kind of look for these kind of patterns. And I mean, obviously, the, the facts are that in terms of goals scored, we, we do seem to be doing a lot better in the second half than the first half. Um, I think it, it's probably not been as simple as that in terms of recently... Um, there have been first half goals and uh, better first half performances, um, but it, it does often feel like we're kind of waiting to come alive uh, rather than uh, sort of really um, trying to sort of put the game to well, not not to bed, but you know, kind of put it um, into a position where it'd be difficult to lose early on. So um, yeah, it definitely it almost feels like we kind of keep you know ten percent back to then be able to use that later on in the game. Um, isn't quite what happened on the day, but uh, yeah, I mean, if you, if you go in half time, because we're just off the back of the Davidson chance, you kind of think, well, you know, this is probably the way that traffic's going to continue for the second half. Um, but by and large, it, it pretty much was. Um, so, and and we all know what our record has been like this season. So, I think that the, the Half-time mood was one of kind of cautious optimism. Yeah, it was definitely that latter point you made of it coming alive as opposed to goals. I think I think that's where I was going towards. So nil-nil at half-time and, you know, following it from afar, social media manager Andrew Still-Davis does often tell us about the opposition's chances. And for this game, it did feel very much all Swindon, Joe. Yeah, I think it would be fair to say that the uh, you know the head of the force, the uh, Woolacott save, was probably the best chance of the half. But in terms of you know actually opportunities and making a threat, I think that we definitely um, had the edge there. Um, like I say, when I was watching and listening to uh, you know, our friends from BBC Essex, there was some almost like sombre tone. And when Connor's reflected on the atmosphere in the away end, if I think to you know what I could see on TV and perhaps maybe this is something of, you know, why why Colchester, where they are, and you, everything's half full. It's just a sort of sea of glum faces sort of sat in a lattice effect almost. And it, it, heads did seem to, did seem to drop it. Yeah. I'd like a feel like, you know, we're going to be in for an afternoon of it. It, it didn't look like um, a happy camp in the stands or, or on the field really. And, Soon after the first half started, you did start to see, you know, players biting at one another. You started to see, hopefully, it all unravel. Um, that's when I was sort of rubbing my hands together and thought, well, here we go. Mm. Yeah, and, and sticking with you, Joe, was there a sense before the goal, so in the in the 20 minutes or so before Swindon took the lead, were we beginning to ramp things up? Oh, yes, yes, definitely. I think before that... I. Um, I think much of a discussion online and we'll come to, um, you know, 
standout performances anyway uh Alessandro was providing you know constant threat and you know whipped in uh uh, across that came quite close before one he almost made quite similar. This was like where they were caught out with the with the high line almost because it always seemed to you know almost curve around and reach McCurdy. Managed to get away with the first one, um, and then literally for the opener that must have just been about you know, five minutes or so later and fell for the same trap again. It was interesting when uh, you know, when we lost Kane Kessler-Hayden, and we think about that feeling out process. I was just thinking then when you were saying, it's interesting sometimes, even when we set up in the same way, um, it can be interesting sometimes to see you know, who who is sort of marked out as like the target for uh, teams to focus on. And we have seen the, you know, the wing-back sort of shut out um, in previous games, but it felt like they were given free reign and free reign to punish them really and punish them they did so here we go then so we're going to go on a 22 minute odyssey now of (laughs) of this game connor just everything just went alive really i I don't think anyone expected it but let's let's start with mccurdy taking the lead and it just is a sensational ball from lsi andalo isn't it it looked great in the flesh and then you you watch it back from the kind of the camera angle that um was provided on iFollow, and like from that height you could, like the fact he's managed to get that ball around the defense and then back into the kind of position to for for mccurdy to shoot it's an absolutely incredible ball and i think it does bear mentioning like like joe mentioned that he'd done that ball Earlier in the game, he did that ball after the goal as well. So it was like consistently great deliveries from Iandolo. Um, and I think that's probably the first time that I've been at a Swindon game where his name has been sung. And obviously he's our longest seven player by quite a bit now. So um, yeah, seems to like really be coming alive. And uh, it was a fantastic performance. And like you say, a fantastic assist. Um, still a bit to do for, for McCurdy there. Um but um, yeah, it's a good finish, and that's the kind of finish that you know we we know that he can do. He is he is good at that sort of just taking something on the bounce. So um, yeah, absolutely delighted. And you think the way that things have been going, I mean, not that we've been creating clear clear cut chances, um, but the way that things have been going with you know not being troubled at the back, having players like Ben Gladwin to bring on off the bench, Jaden Mitchell Lawson, you know, it now that Colchester had to really go for it. Uh, and I think they would have been happy for a point, and that probably is why we hadn't created quite so much clear-cut chances um, before the goal. Um, you, you did think this probably should have become two or three um, before long, um, and we had we did have the chances to make it that. So um, yeah, there is a there is a real odyssey to go on, as you mentioned, Rich. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, Joe. I see LSI Andalo's dad right in the mix of the the away end celebrating, which. <laughs> <laughs> which you just don't expect to see, do you? I, I also observed that Harry McCurdy didn't do the traditional celebration. And I, th- I think if his Instagram accounts are accurate, he's had a haircut too. So, you know, these could be superstitious things. He's really rolling the dice at the moment. Be careful, Harry. Yeah, I hope uh, Ellis's brothers were behaving themselves as well. Oh, yeah, um, this is true. <laughs> I, I mean, yes, it was a good finish. And McCurdy, uh, in, in ways, you know, New new hair, new attitude, and things like that. I was impressed that, um, yeah, even though he was he was getting 
getting chances and you know getting shots off they weren't working out and you know maybe you know he was sort of niggled or fouled or uh things like that things that previously you know would have got him you know yeah, a bit of a tongue lashing for the ref and yeah him ended up getting cards or facing suspensions and things like that he's still managing to articulate that frustration but in a you know in a sort of non-confrontational way that's not going to get him uh in too much trouble there's lots of uh you know shrugs lots of you know head on hands and that's that's fine and that's healthy so that's a good way to do it um was a feeling that you know he could be able to finish it him and davis and the both the both couldn't be faulted for effort but they felt a little bit like strangers and on one or more on one or two occasions there was times where they were sort of you know both kind of occupying the same space if we think about Tyree Simpson going back and something that you know, I particularly uh, loved about his style of play particularly playing with someone who might be uh, a little bit more selfish like Harry McCurdy is that <laughs> he would happily you know peel away and take defenders with him whereas you know sometimes it felt like they were you know chasing each other's tails or well, I guess that will come with with familiarity. He's only been in for a week. Um and McCurdy was having I wouldn't I wouldn't say a a bad game, a good game, a fair game. Uh if it had stayed like that or if somebody else had, you know, got one, just something to have a have a think and look back on Monday when you're looking at your video clips and think how you might have done some things differently. But I have a feeling you might be might be ruining things a little more today. What you've described is quintessential Harry McCurdy, really. You know, <laughs> until he scores, he never looks like he's going to for all of his endeavour. And then he scores and he's, he's the superstar, which is, you know, the way centre forwards operate. You know, even in the Northampton game, if you would have told me he would come out of that game with four goals <laughs> after I'm even having scored one, I would have laughed. But he does have this knack of just you know, notching, doesn't he? So, you know, and long may that continue. Connor Shamel George was having a good game by all accounts. He would have been super up for this, given the fact that I think that summer, um, the year Stephen Bender eventually became our number one. He was at Swindon for quite some time on trial and it looked like he would be joining us on loan from Liverpool permanently. I don't know. He would later go on loan in non-league. And I think from memory... I think that upset the family a little bit, how I think he was led on by by the club and it didn't work out. So he would have been super, super up for this, but a daft way to end his day. If you think that Shamal George was up for it on Saturday, then imagine how up for it Nikolai Krastev would have been. Um, oh, yes. But, but <laughs> you're right. He was playing really well, uh, which was from a Colchester sense, probably channeling that disappointment or slight kind of um, bad blood between um, him and the club um, in uh, a positive way. Uh, and then it all came crashing down, um, which, I mean, it's, it's a, again, it's one of those ones where because it's just like a, a, a brief momentary thing, um, you could kind of see that something wasn't right, but couldn't really put your finger on what exactly was happening. So I think this one led to a lot of confusion in the crowd because because we weren't 100% sure exactly what the red card was for, um, it was pretty hard to tell why we've not got a penalty. Josh Davison had put the ball on the spot, was lining it up. Um, so, ah, yeah, I, I, I was um, was looking... I, so I've, I've been told since that the ball had gone out of play when he did it, but it, it 
like it's like across the iron the low flashed across the face of goal and I, I just can't tell <laughs> exactly which point um, the ball is gone and it's uh it, it, it's not a penalty but you know it, I, I was just so confused in the moment because how how do you get sent off for something that happens literally on the goal line and it's not a penalty but you know th- th- there has to be a reason it was very quick. It all has seemed to happen so quick that I was surprised that it could be called. And rather than like the, uh, you know, the rather comedic Port Vale sending off, this was just one that you know, the confusion just sort of stayed with you. It reminded me of the old, uh, you know, the old Paul Trevelyan "You Are the Ref" books, as did some other decisions on this. Of like, do, do I understand the laws of the game that well? Because just not really understanding how how somebody can get sent off for a foul. And because there was, looked like to be a bit of business, wasn't there? He seemed to get knocked over. And then what was the theory that he'd left some studs in afterwards or something like that? Or given him yeah, a bit it looked of like a stamp or something, I think. So it sort of tumbled into him and then stamped on him after the ball. So it's almost like the the start of the foul, the ball was in play. And then when he'd put his feet in, it was out. It was very odd. And I, I still i am scratching my head right now, to be honest. I imagine everyone listening will be doing the same as me. I mean, if it's gone out of play, then that's that's the reason why. From, from afar, because I wasn't following it by watching it, I was following it using text. And when you see red card goalkeeper, you're kind of like, come on then, where's the penalty? Well, and I was sat there, and it wasn't, I think, until Connor message going, well, why is that not a penalty? <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, for crying out loud! How? You, you, oh, and, and and that was, I think, the moment. Even though it's still, you know, twenty minutes left or whatever, fifteen, twenty minutes left, and we're one nil up. That was when my mood began to not be negative, be be a bit like, I know where this is headed now, because uh, that felt like the first injustice. It, it's so funny because you, you say that, but. I was in dreamland because I was like, you know, th- this is a youth team kid. Like the the guy they put on to replace George um, in goal doesn't have a Wikipedia page, which I he does I, now. He, he surely does he now. He surely does now. But he didn't do while I was checking it during the game to see of is course. this a good goalkeeper or not. Um, so I, that makes you think all we have to do is just put a few testers out there. And we just need to create a few chances. We've got extra space and we, we'd shown two weeks prior against Port Vale that we know how to play against 10 men, um, especially 10 men when you've got the the, the game advantage um, and our playing style, I think, is perfectly suited towards that. So um, it, it really just felt like, you know, just, just stick at what we're doing and a second goal will come. <laughs> and then there was the second injustice of the game, another red card for a foul in the area. And again, I mean, in this case, we got a free kick rather than it being a goal kick, which is, you know, something, I guess. But um, yeah, it, it, it's one of those ones where I think if that mistake happens on its own, uh, then I'd probably just brush it off to experience. But, you know, already having my backup because I probably don't understand the laws of the game uh, and then due to later events. Um, yeah, I think this is the moment where I officially became rattled because, you know, Luke Chambers commits two red card offences, in fairness, one on Mitchell Lawson outside the box, one inside the box as play went on on Johnny Williams. So, like, surely, surely, I mean, I, I'm sure there's someone that has done a refereeing course listening to, to this and, and they can advise. Surely, if you've played advantage, you don't pull it back for the first red card foul after the second red card foul has been made. 
But, you know, I'm no referee. I, I get the feeling that last week's referee would have given us the penalty because he was very good at that part. You know, I know he got criticism, but one thing he did do is essentially everything went our way when whenever those sort of scenarios happened. It didn't happen. I just can't believe how impressive it is to give away two like yellow cards, two sending off offences essentially in the same Phase of two, play, three yeah. seconds. Yeah. Phase of play, less than you know. It's like, that gives him a little bit more wiggle room. It's within two, three seconds of himself. It's like I've given that away. Oh bloody hell! And I'll <laughs> uh, just take this guy out just to make sure he doesn't pull it in. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just Luke Chambers showing his experience there, I suppose. But I, I got to be honest, I want that to be a penalty. Joe, do you want that to be a penalty? Of course you do, but I, I can't see why it's not. No, I can't see. I mean, I was I was scratching my head to think back because if I'm trying to think of like the ref's logic, I was thinking, I don't remember Chambers picking up a card before that. So yeah, you've got Mitchell Lawson like uh, breaking through and getting uh, getting fouled just outside the area. Johnny Williams is picking up and then sort of gets clattered into from behind for another one. And like I say, my understanding would have been that the more egregious foul in a double foul because. Uh, Play's not actually stopped until this point. Is that you give it for the uh, the more serious offence? Very keen that you know if there is somebody who you know who does do a ref, and we all know that that there will be, or people who are more qualified in these sorts of things will be able to tell us uh, in great detail as to why uh, the rules are as they are. But I don't think that there would have been many complaints from the uh, Colchester faithful if uh, they saw a penalty given for either. I think they. Are probably as as bemused as as we are. If like the loathed Colchester's are recording right now, they're not saying. I think you'll find the laws of the game show that that should have been a free kick. <laughs> I just don't believe it for a second. But eighty-seven minutes down to nine men, twenty-second in the table. Connor. Mm. walk me through the minutes that lead to the goal as well as the goal itself because surely with a two-man advantage I get why you would just want to see the game out with just possession or whatever but this isn't 10 men this is nine well so obviously there's to begin with the free kick uh, which uh, hits the wall and then uh, there's a rebound doesn't doesn't really come to anything I think there's an offside after the rebound so um, that phase of play ends there uh, then um, you do just think with nine men, just, you know, now you've got even more space to just pass the ball about and work an opening and eventually one will come and you should take it against um, the Wikipedia pageless child in goal. Um, <laughs> Same age as Tyree Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> strikers, goalkeepers, just different walks of life. Um, but anyway, um, uh, so... It, at that point, it feels pretty unforgivable not to see the game out. Um, and I'm, I don't mean that in a, I'm criticising anyone in particular. I'm not criticising Ben Garner. I'm not criticising the players. It just feels like it's much harder to not see the game out from that position than to give them a way back in. So really, we have a lot, like, we, we look okay. I think Colchester have a little spell of possession, which, you know, they've got nine men. They're not really going anywhere. Um, but, you know, just all of a sudden, they kind of fashion a half chance that gets them a corner. Um, and from there, all you need to do is just like 
you don't you've got they've got eight men up you can you know leave someone on the halfway line you've still got two extra players in the box so you can double up on the danger men and we didn't like we left people unmarked it's it's a complete disaster of a set piece thing and probably if you're not going to do set pieces properly then uh, a team with a, a striker the size of John Akinde um, are going to be able to you know work at fashion a chance and uh, they managed to get it sort of into the back of the net even then they have nine men it, it feels like that we you know should still have been able to work a chance to make it 2-1 um, and when we did uh, you know their, their second goalkeeper of the evening uh, <laughs> punched Josh Davison in the head and that was also not a penalty uh, so that was the, the third injustice uh, and you know at, at that point I'm just completely livid uh, and probably can't comment on the game anymore um but yeah it, it really is confusing I saw that there was a lot of discussion after the game about Ben Garner in the sense of you know last weekend he did this against Rovers in terms of not making any changes so he's tried to correct for that uh by putting no. substitutes on uh against Colchester and then that's not worked which I think is just a case of kind of seeing what's happening and then trying to ascribe whatever has been done uh, to be the reason for it. I, I don't think any of the substitutes that were made are like remotely a reason for, for, for that kind of, um, I guess you could call it a collapse if you're going to concede to nine men. Um, I, I really think it's, it's not to do with the players. It's not to do with um, the manager. It's just, you know, sometimes... <laughs> really annoying things happen in football and like probably in a normal game we would have already put the game out of sight they still score that goal um and um you know we're just saying well we shouldn't have conceded to nine men but look it's three one four one whatever um but we didn't get the rub the green with a handful of big decisions which seems really odd to say in a game where the opposition have had two men sent off um but you know football is by nature a low scoring game so, you know, when you have big errors piling up on top of each other, it does make it a lot harder. So it sounds like I'm trying to make excuses, which I probably am because I don't criticise the players probably as much as I prob- as, as I maybe should. Um, but I I really just don't know what to think about that game. I'm sure someone else can, can, <laughs> can put, like, put, give me a narrative to hang on to. But like looking at it for me, there's no obvious conclusions from that game. I think you can basically put your opinion of football or your opinions on the players and squad on top of that 90 minutes. And um, it, it probably sounds like um, it, it sounds sensible because I, f- I think there's just like very little to actually draw from it. I think it's just the 90 minutes of football that happened and I, I have no idea what it means. Connor sounds glad all over there, um, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> I, I don't want to... I, I don't want to add to uh, add to your woes, Connor, but uh, just to add that you know our friends on uh, BBC Essex they actually pointed out there was a um, a chance like early in the first half with uh, McCurdy with like a one on one and they sort of felt that he was like pulled at the nape of the neck and they thought that could have been a penalty as well so that would be four injustices by your counting as well. Man, I could almost feel like the worm turning. I mean, I could I could start to see people filtering out when it got to like 81, 82 minutes. And then when it's going out for that first corner, 
them doing an about turn and walking back, like almost moonwalking back up to the aisles into their seats they can hang about. Something's happening here. I can't understand, and I know that a lot of people frustrate you. You're perfectly right. It's nothing to do with the substitutes or who came on, um, especially if you're thinking about actually, you know, going for it and getting a attacking threat. We know that Gladwin can create moments out of nothing. We know that Mitchell Lawson's got uh, pace for days, as the kids would say. Nothing wrong with you know the personnel on there. I can't understand the logic of you know when we're passing it around is fine and keeping possession in their half, but passing it around at the back in our half, in other words, like hubris, complacency come in, and as soon as they'd won that corner, you just started to get that sinking feeling, and uh, yeah, they were they were up for it, and um. Uh, after they were, uh, there were people on online, like on the Colchester, and saying about it being like one of their their great moments. I think that shows how far <laughs> they've fallen, really, doesn't it? <laughs> Um, I don't think we can uh, gloss over the defending for their equaliser. I mean, um, Dan sent the screenshot of the defending as as the ball was getting crossed in, and I'll just use his words: Davison on a kinde. O'Brien six foot six marking no one, Gladwin marking no one behind him with a two man advantage and a Kinde's reputation. Any captain material sorts that out in the box. And we'll 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 talk about individuals a bit later on. But again, I mean it's it's hard to defend the notion of nine versus eleven. You know, there shouldn't be people not marking somebody and when you've got one of the centre forwards with the biggest reputation of being an absolute nuisance on set pieces uh it's 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 a horror show speaking of horror shows a friend of the pod uh paul of cult zeros uh sent me a video because he was at the game he's a colchester resident a fulham fan but his daughter enjoys going to watch colchester he sent me a video of his daughter and her friends celebrating wildly as as that went in and it sickened me to my very core um but i'm glad they had a lovely day hmm. what happened next joe was the aftermath which was very meltdowny i was you know from a personal side i'm not going to sit here and say i was holier than now i was internally fuming there was no sort of knee-jerk rants on social media from me or anything like that bit of deep breathing before before sort of reading through but Oh, especially, no, it was just really, really upset, wasn't it? The reaction. I mean, much like you and, uh, and our friend from Cult Zeros, I was treated from my friend Sophie of a screenshot of the, you know, the BBC Colchester one, Swindon one, uh, you know, her being a big fan as well. So, you know, any any chance to, to rub it in. Much like, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we had the Northampton game and you have that wonderful feeling of like where the whole weekend just feels yeah, absolutely wonderful and you walk on air. This really was, uh, this really did have like the, the sinking feeling. And we know that, you know, we have a, uh, yeah, a fan base that sort of flits from, you know, despair to joy. You know, we win a game where, you know, it's HMS Pistol League is uh, coming out of port. Um, and then... <laughs> When we lose one, you know, it's run adrift, hit an iceberg, sinking fast, isn't it? That's usually the case. But this time it felt, I know usually the discourse is not particularly um, great, but I know that there'll be people salivating to have to have listened this far to have some um, mutual catharsis. Like Connor had already touched on, there's a lot of, uh, lot of blame game uh, 
today. Whereas uh, I know it's not a great result to, you know, to be held to a team that's that's properly down there. Um, but by the same decree, like it's not the worst thing in the world if you take a step back, is it? Either way, I'm going to tell Steve and Mac that Elastico were rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I've rarely been like so annoyed leaving a ground and it, it wasn't um re- i think it's just like it's just a really tough way to f- take uh dropping points because you know although i would have been annoyed at the lack of penalties had we not conceded i would probably just put well we still won um if we'd have uh conceded and we'd still won then i probably wouldn't be too bothered about that but it's just the the, the sheer combination um and then yeah, I I don't know. I think sometimes I just kind of feel a little bit protective of the team as well. Like, not it. It's weird because obviously, what I think about things doesn't make a difference to the team at the end of the day. But um, yeah, like sometimes I I do you do see like um criticism of of certain players that either feels like it goes a bit far or maybe is um better directed somewhere else or, or that kind of thing. Obviously, it's all, all different opinions. So um. It's probably just one of those ones where you you get your back up because you 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 have a different opinion. Um, but yeah, if there's any blame to be apportioned, it's probably just collectively in that one moment we should have defended better. Otherwise, it was an okay performance um, against the pre-poor team. We should have probably won. Um, having had you know a while to reflect on it, I feel a lot better now, and I've, I'm trying to. Although I'm not going to give the game my own narrative and like way of spinning it to like suit how I feel about the team. I think where this does sit in the wider context for us is that we've had a weird January. Um, you know, we, we began the year with um, a, a pretty strong team, you know, the, the core of the team being um, talented young loanies from various um, different clubs. They've all gone. Uh, and we've had this kind of weird interregnum throughout January where those players have gone and we're obviously working on bringing either them back or new players in. But, you know, the restrictions are under and um, the way that the market is has not allowed us to bring people in um, in time to kind of actually go full tilt at those fixtures um, in a really annoying way. So we, we, we've played... I guess you can probably include Mansfield in this, but maybe not quite. Um, Port Vale, obviously, Bristol Rovers, Colchester. Um, in a, at a time where, you know, ideally we'd have just had the squad that we had at the start of January, plus a couple of extras. We brought those couple of extras in, but lost the key players in that squad. And I think you can see that, you know, Davison looks a good player. O'Brien looks a good player from what we've seen. We've signed a couple of more players since then. So obviously Louis Barry's through the door and Brandon Cooper's through the door. But we have to almost see this as a new team um, in the sense that it's it's quite a big difference, I think, from where we ended 2021. Um, and it's probably going to take a few weeks for those par- partnerships to build up um, anew. And obviously we mentioned the one earlier with... Um, McCurdy and Davison not just not quite knowing how to dovetail um, as effectively as uh, McCurdy and Simpson. Um, you know, give it a few weeks, and that we're more than likely going to be able to say that that's not an issue anymore, and that they seem they have kind of worked out each other's game and what to do. Uh, when one player does this, I'll do that. 
Um, and that will also happen in a defensive sense. But yeah, it, really, I guess Monday's going to kind of define how we feel about the rest of the season. You know, one or two really good signings and, you know, it's going to be a very, very different team. Um, and almost on, on Tuesday against Crawley or definitely Saturday against Exeter, we can kind of hopefully just brush it off and dust ourselves down and uh, go full tilt at a month that has more games in it, bizarrely, despite being the shortest month. So um, it, where I'm situating it in for me is that, although it's really frustrating not to win, hopefully we'll be better positioned next week and in the weeks after to win those games because, yeah, you know, aberrations hopefully don't happen all the time. People around him because just because of the way that the midfield is structured for Swindon, it makes it very difficult for him to combine with anyone. Conroy tries to flute a ball out wide left to Andlow. Williams will be able to pick this up after a step. Andlow has it wide on the left hand oh, side. Brilliant. Early ball into the box. McGowan is there on the back post and Swindon take the lead. Delicious ball for Andlow to the back stick of McGowan. Guides it past the goalkeeper. Time for your usual contributions from the listeners. Thank you very much to those who sent stuff in. Starting with Ben Nichols, who says, That feels like a defeat. Don't take your chances. You don't deserve to win. Saying that, I think Swindon should have had two penalties. Bucko says, Ah, well, still work to do on defending set pieces. Newbies seem to have fitted in well. On to Tuesday. Andy says missed opportunities like that is what makes the autos harder to achieve. Need to win those games in hand to keep up. Rob in Denmark simply says, well, it's Swindon Town. Certainly is. Paul Temple says pathetic defending of set piece and crosses in the box, which may well cost us in the playoff hunt. Ghana needs to shake up this complacency and get them on the front foot when trying to win the ball. Man of the match, Johnny Williams, intelligent movement and running with the ball. Jeremy says, I didn't see the game, but we should be able to close it out at 1-0 with 11 versus 9 for the last few minutes. Possibly naivety from a young team. However, perspective needed. We have had a difficult January with four loanies, three regular starters, all recalled. Of the replacements, three arrived this week, only one in time to play this weekend. A draw isn't a disaster. We have 20 games left and appear to have replaced the departed players. One or two more in on Monday and hopefully we can push on. Martin gives man of the match to Ellis Iandolo and Muttley says, what kind of team fails to beat nine men? Luke says, couldn't make it up. That's Swindon Town. Jason says, sack the pod, lads. Don't want to relive that in any way, shape or form. Highlight, Andrew Hawes. Has there ever been a strike duo who both had ponytails? Ross Emberton? I don't know off the top of my head. A decent gag, neither realised. Man of the match, Ellis Iandolo. STFC Phil simply provides a gif of Fozzie Bear with his hands across his face. Say no more. Swindon Spartan says, woeful game management at the end. Spoiled all the good work up to that point. Settling for a 1-0 victory has again not worked and we must go to kill off games, especially when in such control, two big results needed at the county ground. Christopher says, Cooper for Conroy on Tuesday. 
Jimmy Legg says, the biggest 1-1 battering I've seen. We shouldn't have been in the position to allow them to steal the draw at the end. Too scared to shoot. Davison was really impressive on his debut. Both challenges from the keeper given as fouls on the keeper late on were an absolute joke. Williams, Reed, Odomeo would be worthy man of the matches, but Ellis Iandolo takes it for me. Nathan provides the facts, saying, after losing our previous 900 games against Colchester 3-0, I think 1-1 shows great improvement. <laughs> Jason C says, man of the match, Iandolo. So many epic crosses into the box. Davison gets the wooden spoon, missed a sitter, and just ran around like a headless chicken. Although Conroy should probably get it for not tracking his man. Colchester were poor and we were toothless against a bad team. Where does Barry fit in? Do we change shape to three up front? Barry and McCurdy? I'm not sure that's a natural pairing going by what I've seen on YouTube. Dee Morgan says, typical Swindon is just part of the fun. Think we are definitely missing pain. Squad is improving, which means we will have players on the bench who the manager trusts to bring on. Neil Hayward says, feeling a bit down after that. Almost did enough to win. Last 10 minutes were very poor. Odomeo, man of the match. As an aside, anyone asking for the head of Garner needs to get a grip. We could end up with a Sheridan. I, for one, want some long-term stability. Neil McLaughlin gives Iandolo the man of the match. That was a shocking performance at the end. Should have been out of sight by then. Rock and roll footy man says, unable to beat nine men, pathetic. No man of the match deserved as we were poor. The mod father 79 says, man of the match, Ellis Iandolo, easily. He's improved massively this season under Ghana. Still very happy with our league position, bearing in mind we've lost Simpson, our Kess, Critchlow, and pain to injury. The Ned Report says it's criminal to give away set pieces to a team with 10 men, let alone nine. Gladwin's stupid foul on the halfway line cost us two points. Urgh. Lots of positives, but that was so frustrating, only to come away with a point due to that stupid error. Man of the match, Johnny F. Williams. <laughs> Rob Bowden says, my local again. So, one day we will win here. I felt that we didn't get out of second gear. Comfortable throughout, but just couldn't break down the block. They sat and sat and sat. Thought that Davison put himself about nicely and was man of the match for me. Not a bad performance. Come on, you Reds. Codename Hardhat says, listened on the radio, so didn't watch. But it was both frustrating and disappointing. We're just starting to lose a little bit of ground. So a big few days of transfers and an even bigger February. Need to string some results together. Come on, you Reds. Swinbart says, poor game management. Need a new captain who can lead on the field. Mitchell Singh says, man of the match, 100% Akinondo Mayo. A lot of people will say Ellis, but he was terrible from a defensive point of view. Great attacking, though, which showed how solid Odomeo was. I am first to blame Ben Garner for things he does or doesn't do, but this wasn't his fault. Naivety from the players, I am afraid. Pete Marsh going in again with Miss Swindon Town. Expect these things to happen. Man of the match, Ellis Iandolo. Sam Webb says, that's why we won't go up this season, because we don't take our chances. Pathetic. Kieran Jella says, Ellis Iandolo, surely man of the match. Quite impressed with Davison too, but overall frustrating. That's football. Give a team a set piece at the death, and that's what happens, sadly. 
Paul Merriman says, incredibly frustrating yet again. We are so much better than this. Too much stop-start, like the Rovers game. Killed our momentum. Just frustrating. We have such quality players. We should be sinking these teams. Rant over. Man of the match, Ellis Iandolo. Wardy S says, too many chances missed over 90 minutes. Usually bury sides. Simpsons recall could be the undoing of our season. We'll give the new guy a chance Tuesday is a must-win game to get us back on track. And man of the match, Ellis Iandolo. Some quality crosses that should have been finished off. Bratch says, although the subs didn't help, with a game coming up on Tuesday, I can see why we made them. We simply didn't take our chances, and two corners later, we are pegged back. It was otherwise a reasonably good second half, to be honest. J.O.B., Williams and Iandolo, all man of the match contenders. O'Brien gets it for me. Robert Hammond says, why did the ref not play advantage and give the penalty? Anyway, we should have won it. Man of the match, Ellis Iandolo. Paul D says, that's really poor. Have to be able to see out a game against relegation strugglers down to nine men. Invited pressure, unforgivable defending. Jamie says, very, very good performance until we got complacent. Iandolo, a clear man of the match for me, as he was dangerous throughout. I do think that we would have battered them if Barry had signed sooner. Flower Girl says, it may have been a penalty, but we can't blame that for our loss of points. We just sat back. We don't finish teams off, and the defending was quite frankly sloppy. Don't need excuses from Ghana, not having a go at him, regarding the referee. It's the team's overall performance. Sorry, very cross. Hanra Hanra Akinodameo 2 says, third bottom opposition, nine men, all the play. Then give away a succession of corners at the death. We're a team that cannot defend crosses. I know, let's give them a couple of corners. The marking on the goal was appalling. Man of the match, Jojo Wallacott. That first half save, well done. Bernie Man says, threw the three points away up until the second. Red, we were in control. Decided to sit back and got punished with poor defending. Bizarrely, the ref missed quite a few other opportunities of penalties for us also. Gut-wrenching way to drop two points. LSI under man of the match for his second half display. And finally, Matt, who says, sadly, that is not how you play against 10 and 9 men. Poor defending at the end gave them the chance to get something out of it. Really like the look of Davison. He works seriously hard. Man of the match, Ellis Iandolo. Okay, Joe, so a lot of the stuff covered there we've discussed. I guess the big one that we haven't is Dion Conroy. Now, if you read around, there is a fair few Swindon fans that say, well, actually, Dion was pretty okay throughout the game. It was just that lapse at the end. It's becoming a regular theme, isn't it, Dion Conroy? And there is this urge now... As Connor mentioned, Brandon Cooper is signed for the rest of the season on loan from Swansea, that somebody's got to make way for him potentially. And it seems that the feeling is it's got to be Dion. Would you agree? Uh, I'm not sure if I would necessarily agree at this stage, but it does always seem like um, there always has to be a bogeyman in the town squad. And uh, after, you know, Gladwin had a man of the match performance, that sort of, you know, let's move way to, uh, uh, to Dion. I mean... There have been times, again, not just from the corner or, you know, certain incidents or when we have conceded where you feel like as the as the experienced one, as the captain, as the man in the middle, that he should be shoring up his two centre-backs. If we're setting up to play that way, 
you know, we're relying on the three of them to, you know, really be our last line of cover if we're giving wing backs, you know, the the license to to go up and down, especially if we're caught on the break, um, like we often are. I mean, I'm not I'm not harking back to say that you know I had some sort of uh, <laughs> illustrious career playing Sunday League, but that constant communication that you need from your your centre backs is is crucial, and throughout the season it's felt like that isn't there. Um, Brandon Cooper's going to come in. He's got, you know, he's got a lot of experience. You know, he's obviously Camrig, uh, uh, so big favourite for me and James in the uh, Welsh contingent of the pod. Um, my concern would be like they're all quite young, and as brilliant as Odomeo is, another person who had a great game yesterday. Um, I do wonder if he has got that sort of vocal confidence to um, marshal a squad. I can see that. The other advantage, of course, you know, apart from the window closing, is that we are going to start to get people back in, like Bowdry and uh, Payne in the midfield as well. Um, I'm thinking potentially. I know that you know some people have already written off uh, Matthew and thinking that you know he should be someone we shouldn't be thinking about. But on and off the field, that experience that he can give to the younger low knees might prove uh, might prove valuable. People just need like a bit more, a bit more comms from the uh, from the keeper as well. Um, Jojo is a bit quieter than Ward, but um, yeah, Ward might not necessarily be on the same page as the defenders. Sometimes it just doesn't seem like there's a lot of cohesion and talking up when you know when they're on the break and on the defensive, and that's something we really need to sort. But if you know if someone like Brandon Cooper can come in and and marshal that from the off, then yeah, that will be a, a tricky position for Dion. And Connor, two or three references to Swindon not winning this is pathetic. I did ask people to do deep breathing before sending me messages, whether they did or not, I don't know. But does this put more pressure on Tuesday for Swindon now in terms of the fans not not overreacting, but feeling a little bit angsty about where the season is headed? Yeah, I think it does. Uh, and that is probably right, because I don't think that we should have been going into this run of free fixtures against Rovers, Colchester and Crawley and been expecting really any less than seven points. Um, so I, I think, I mean, I kind of share the angst to an extent. I don't to, to another extent. It's a, it's a really weird, confusing place to be uh, in my mind at the moment. But I I, I don't think if we like didn't win um, on Tuesday that all would be wrong in the world. I think there was there are still things that can go right um, because I think the business since um, Tyrese went back seems to have been pretty positive. Um, there may be even more to come um, if the the rumor mill um, is accurate. So that that probably gives like an element of feel good factor, um, regardless of results. Um, but um, I, I guess the the problem is that it just doesn't feel like we've quite you know done enough to win games where we've been the better team two weeks in a row. Um, and I, I think if you're the better team, you should you should win the game. And it is it it's really frustrating. We didn't roll the dice against Bristol Rovers. Um, we did roll the dice against Colchester, and the the luck of the draw hasn't hasn't shone on us. Uh, but you know, I don't I don't think that you know just beating Crawley on Tuesday will will turn things around. I think you know 
it will be um, a good moment for us and then we can hopefully move on to um, you know more good fixtures uh, but what we really need at the moment I think just for any kind of uh, just just to kind of you know make everyone on the same page in a footballing sense is just actually let's go on a run because it's been a while since we've we've put you know back-to-backs um, in and um, Terry was mentioning yesterday a very interesting kind of thing that it almost feels like you know when we win a game with with Ben Garner that it, it seems to kind of um, put less stress on you know then winning the next game so you know we won at Port Vale um, so maybe then Bristol Rovers is le- it's less important to get uh, three points there because you know two point average should be enough to see us up um, from from each, from each game so uh, I, I can see the the argument there. I'm not. I, I probably will need to see a few more games to to see exactly what what I reckon. But it's one of those ones where the last few weeks have felt just kind of like we've been ambling from game to game, and we just need to pick it up again and have the energy that we had in October, November again. I, f- I think it's weird to a degree because I'm, I'm more than happy to get absolutely shot down here, but. I think this is where the club need to do the rallying cries, you know. We don't hear from Ben Garner at all beyond his obligations with the press, you know, with the pre-game and the post-game presso. There's nothing else. We don't see anything from the training ground. We don't see anything other than the essentials from the players, other than Harry McCurdy's opinions on life. Which, And if it wasn't for Harry McCurdy, this would be a very, very dull season in terms of how we how we look at footballers in the game these days you know when we were kids there was no social media so you know it was very much like the old days of just interviews radio sound bites and going to the game itself but that's not been the way of the world now for over a decade and they're so isolationist the playing side of things that I think that can also have a detrimental impact when things are a little bit rocky or a little bit choppy things are very good at the moment but I just think sometimes maybe, you know, a little bit of interaction, not with podcasts or anything, anything beyond what they do at the moment would, would go a long way. Yeah, just like driving the engagement a bit more. I think yeah. if we give the fan base, if the club has a, give the fan base more, more sort of insight into what the players are like, you probably spread what the favourite player is among the fan base um, probably a little bit more and you're not going to go all in on your on your favourites so if we did see probably a little bit more of um, you know Dion Conroy's leadership ability off the pitch um, or on the pitch even um, to kind of like so that we can actually like not think that that might be a problem um, then that would be great because you know I I just think we we probably do need to see uh, just that little bit more it it feels it's so intangible isn't it like there's there's not really any way of like scientifically doing this all correctly so I can see like why the strategy is working like probably incubating them from fan opinion to a certain extent keeps the vibes good in the camp even if we don't win um but yeah it would it would kind of be nice to just like yeah hear a bit more from the the lesser known not lesser known but lesser spotted players of the squad like there's a lot of them I've not heard their voice (laughs) so yeah um, you're, you're completely right I mean even if it was just like content where two of them are just sat down and they get asked questions about each other and see what they do or you know ask questions about popular culture or anything it doesn't have to be like the minutiae of football you know you could just just see their personalities a little bit because at the moment 
almost every single person bar one who's a bit of an extreme personality in the, in the scheme of things, probably our largest personality since Simon Ferry. You know, we don't know anything about these guys other than the fact that sometimes they play well and sometimes they don't. It's, it's I mean, Joe, what do you think? Yeah, I think I agree. It's, it's a very, it's a very easy win. Um, you know, the club have said they want to go from they were bottom of the fan engagement uh, index, weren't they? And they said exactly. they want to be at the top. Things like publishing your advisory boards minutes, I think it's all very useful. And it's all very good and very credible. That's the hard stuff. The easy stuff yeah. is getting a camera and doing the, like you say, the pop quizzes, doing things like the you know, almost crossbar challenge-like or head tennis contests. You know, the big clubs will do you know, big sort of co-branding sponsorship things, won't they? But they often have like a nice or fluffy element, don't they? You see like Liverpool and Nivea doing like a crossover of, you know, rewarding fans or going to visit people. And it's nice to see things like, you know, people from the Community Foundation going out and um, they were giving like parcels out for lonely people having conversations on the doorstep or going into assembly and giving schools about what it's like to be a be a footballer, getting to know the academy teams, getting to know the women's teams, buying one of those green triangle cameras or something so we can actually watch <laughs> highlights and clips from from those games as well. It's those sort of easy wins. Um, we do have Jonah and Steve with their TikTok account or things like that. So if they're the kind of people who, you know, who will sort of bring that other side out, don't be afraid to sort of publicize that. If you, you can still have control and, you know, veto things that you don't want to be out. But actually, you know, I, I see that sort of cohesion things like that. Those are the nicer elements that you see on things like um, County Ground Untuck, Uncut. You know, when you see what people coming back into the tunnel, Michael Doughty was always a treat for that, you know, of how fired up he'd be, you know, after a win. It's those little things like that. It's some, some of those things have actually, you know, stayed with me, you know, thinking about... Um, you know, seeing Rob Hunt interact with like a shy mascot and things like that and putting them at ease before before going out. These are nice things and they're so easy. And the key thing there is it doesn't matter if we're top of the league or bottom of the league, those little touches just give you that little bit more. And I think, it, like you said, I think it's just an, a missed open goal, really. I mean, they announce so many partners, they could incorporate the staff or the or the coaches to do something them playing whatever racket thing that they were doing the other day a little competition between Garner and Marshall that sort of stuff you know it's it, 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 it just gives you a little bit more we have run over dramatically for the second week running so my apologies everybody who's listening to this but one one final thing because obviously we've got a presser coming in thick and fast Louis Barry you know one of the success stories really in terms of the rumor mill, because he's been mentioned for a good time now, Connor, and he has signed quite the coup. If, if you believe what a lot of people are saying, and I've got no reason to think otherwise could be a very exciting signing for Swindon. Yeah, no, I fully agree. Um, I think obviously it's a name that like, if you're kind of following football in a wider sense, you've probably been aware of since he made that move from West Brom to Barcelona, which is the sort of thing that just kind of does catch your imagination just as a, a fan of young English talent in general. Um, so it's a weird one to kind of been following a player of that age's career almost for a few years, but we have been to a certain extent, or a lot of people have been. Um, and um, yeah, it's just, it's just the name that I guess, given he was at Villa, we had a good experience with Kessler Hayden. Um, 
and he didn't have the best experience at Ipswich, um, it, it does just feel uh, like it's been a thing of like one plus one equals two. Um, it, it should make uh, a lot of sense for all parties involved. And uh, yeah, let's hope we can just unlock that ability that he clearly has because you don't go to La Masia um, without being good at football. Um, and uh, yeah, let's hope that we can kind of coax that out into um, applying that to the men's game. Fantastic. Okay, well, I think that will do. Congratulations to Ellis Iandolo, who got the listeners and the pods man of the match. Almost forgot there. But until next time, Connor, Joe, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Rich. Thanks, Rich. Bye-bye. <laughs> Good run by him and now The Low Strangers is an independent podcast. Views given do not reflect those of Swindon Town Football Club. The music is provided by the great Matthew Kilford and the podcast artwork is by Matt in Singapore. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon. Connor, what would happen if a nuclear weapon hit Swindon? Uh, well, I don't know because I've not read the article yet, but I, I would like to be enlightened. So um, what, a, what a switch up in tone, by the way. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, I've been doing this for a few years now, so I know exactly how to crowbar progression into conversation. I've, I've, I've got to be honest. I, I, one of you guys said you were doing research for this episode and stumbled across the top article on the Swindon Advertisers website by Jack Simpson, Facebook community reporter, no less. Ever wondered what would happen if Swindon, <laughs> if a nuclear weapon got dropped on Swindon? Well, today, a clever interactive tool means you no longer need to speculate. <laughs> pub chat is dead, isn't it? I mean, if you can go to the pub now and sort of muse over what could possibly happen if a 50 thousand kiloton nuclear warhead uh, was to hit Swindon and not think Morden gone, Stratton gone, Old Town gone. Sure, Covingham, get rid. What can you do? I just like the fact that after yesterday, this has become the uh, the top red thing that, you know, watching watching us capitulate to Colchester has driven people to a threads fantasy land. And uh, all I can really say to that is Jiminy Jellicas. <laughs> well, for those listening in Bath, Cheltenham, Oxford, Andover, and all the villages across the Cotswolds, think again, your impact did too. Um, so David Brent's uh, £15 worth of damage is uh, <laughs> turns out to be grossly inaccurate, but what an article to stumble across. Loved it thoroughly. Hi, Alice Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward, or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.